Welcome back, everybody, to From Plum Creek with Love, a little house on the prairie podcast. I'm your host, John Hernandez. Ah, it is good to be back. I mean, really, I could have recorded at any time during these last few weeks, but I did need a break. And I'm so, so excited about starting season four. But what have I been doing in the meantime? Well, June is Pride Month, and so prior to the beginning of it, I had been booked for a few performances. So I've been working my butt off, getting performances ready, as well as continuing to teach my own classes. And when I wasn't upside down, I was at home doing really one of three things. Two of them, however, involving Legos. That's correct, Legos. I spent a number of hours sorting and reorganizing Lego sets that I plan to sell on eBay. And when that became too daunting, I switched to <laughs> playing my Nintendo Switch, focusing on the Lego Skywalker Saga game. And what was that third thing? Binge watching Stranger Things Season 4 and reality-based television on the many form of streaming services. Paramount, Netflix, Amazon, thank you for filling those hours. And lastly, if you do want to watch episodes along with the podcast, if you're a member of Amazon Prime, this series is available for you, albeit with commercials. Also, if you're a member of Peacock, as well as Philo. However, if you want to be a little old-fashioned, Check in with your local library. They might have a physical copy. Heck, they might even have a digital copy available. And lastly, if you want to get really rebellious, check out YouTube. You never know what you might find there. It's been a lovely few weeks, but I am so, so excited to get finally moving on to Season 4 of Little House on the Prairie. And with that being said, let's get started on today's recap. Today's episode is entitled Castoffs and debuted on September 12, 1977. The episode was written by Tony Caden and directed by Michael Landon. Oh, wait, two quick notes. One, the m- opening music has returned more to its original sound in season one and season two. Thank you. Also, in the opening credits, or at the end of the opening credits, there is a new shot of a different wagon driving into Walnut Grove. And so, we begin with an exterior establishing shot. We're back at Plum Creek, and I have to say, all that rain has paid off. It is a very green set. Well, at least around the creek, anyway. There's a slow pan down past the creek onto some flowers, It then stops and rests on a non-barking jack. We cut to Laura running out of the barn. She has finished her chores and inquires to Charles if she can head into town. Permission granted. And just as she is about to bolt, Caroline steps out and yells to Laura, Have you noticed how Jack has been scratching and fussing at his ear? Laura, possibly rolling her eyes, turns to her mom and says that she hasn't really noticed. Caroline brings up the tall grasses and the potential of getting a foxtail or two stuck in his ear. Letting out a deep exhale, 
Laura tries to pass this task onto Carrie. However, according to Caroline, Carrie is busy helping to bake a cake. Maybe Caroline's still a, a little worried about letting Carrie run off on her own. Caroline then states, Jack is your dog and claims that Laura has been neglecting him lately. You can't just cast him aside. Laura continues to whine as she tries to get out of helping out her dog and says that she has other plans right now. But Caroline puts that foot down and says, right now, you'll attend to Jack. We cut to, oddly enough, the one structure in Walnut Grove I've been very, very curious about. The old burnt down remains of that house that's right next to the church school hospital. You know, with the partial chimney and partial wall. However, now there's currently a broom, a rocking chair, two different chests, a stool, a carpet bag, and then the floor opens up. Ooh, we have a subterranean resident. And up from the underground, the first thing we see is a crow coming out of the ground who happens to be perched on top of a hat being worn by a woman. And immediately, I just want to say, tuppence, a bag. However, what she says is, it's such a lovely day. And then proceeds to pick up that broom and starts to sweep the floor. Dirt. Ground. Mr. Olson and Harriet come out of the mercantile and head over to the church. And we know it's not Sunday because Laura's off running into town as well. But they're heading inside for... We'll soon find out. And this woman, who put a bird on it, before it was hipster, says, Hello, beautiful day. They say cleanliness is next to godliness. The crow, on top of her head, utters an amen. Mr. Olson stares, smiles. It's charming. Harriet Olson looks, is revolted, and rushes inside. P.S. Harriet Olson has a lovely new blue hat. Meanwhile, what is going on inside the church is a discussion about this new resident. P.S. We are confirmed that it is Saturday. Reverend Alden states that they should invite this woman into the congregation and get to know her, you know, better. And Harriet Olson scoffs at this idea because that would encourage her to stay we don't want her here. And she continues to compare this woman to a plague of locusts. Unintentional Easter egg. However, Reverend Alden still just doesn't understand why this woman can't stay where she's at. And Harriet Olson states, People don't live in a house that isn't there. She's a little off her rocker. In the back of the room... It's a quick hello and welcome back to Hans Dorfler, our town blacksmith, who once again agrees with Harriet Olson. He also name drops Clyde, this woman's horse, and states this horse is unusual. All he wants to eat is hard candy and beef jerky. So this off-the-rocker woman we've been introduced to outside doesn't have a name, but her horse does. There's a slight eye roll for me on that. 
At this point, Miss Beetle is called upon and asked about if she has any concerns. Miss Beetle says she has no issue. This woman seems rather harmless. Harriet Olson quickly interjects. Looks can be deceiving. Confession, there was a snort from me when she said that. Reverend Alden decides to then call out Harriet Olson on her unchristian behavior. And starting to throw a little shade, Harriet Olson reminds Reverend Alden and the rest of us that he is only in town for two days out of the month. And then finally states, you wouldn't have to stay around that creature. She continues that she's even forbidden her own kids from interacting with this woman, and she would encourage any like-minded parent to do the same. Reverend Olden, trying to tell Harriet Olson in the nicest way, this woman seems intent on staying, and the property is abandoned, so legally she has every right. Harriet Olson then replies in a very... Harriet Olson, callous kind of way. We'll let nature take its course. No one can survive a winter in the confines of a root cellar. And me, I'm just flabbergasted that we now have history about this house outside. And back at Plum Creek, Laura is grooming Jack, and not in that loving, I want to take care of you and get these foxtails out of your ears kind of way, but more of a this is a pain and I just want to leave. And well, Jack's not having it. In fact, he would rather just pick up his toy and start to play with Laura. Laura is not having that. And she yells, if you want to go around with foxtails in your ears, see if I care. She then gets up and leaves. And a barking Jack watches as Laura is running away with that toy in his mouth. And then he starts to whimper. We cut to Laura running to meet up with OMG, Nellie, Willie, and Mary. Uh, in what prairie verse are we? Laura, with a bouquet of flowers in her hands, has come to the group and they have decided to meet this new resident of Walnut Grove. So much for Nellie and Willie Olson being forbidden for interacting with her. And we cut to the group peeking out from behind the church school, and they move in closer to behind the chimney. We see that our new resident is asleep in her rocker. She doesn't look slightly off of it at all. However, that crow is playing as the security alarm and does go off when it spots the kids. The woman opens her eyes and then closes them again, fake sleeping. And this is when Mary and Laura step on out. And Mary says, hello, and welcome to Walnut Grove. May we come in? Without moving from the chair, she says, all you have to do is knock and the door will open. And without hesitating, Mary and Laura head over to the door frame and knock, knock. This woman gets up out of the chair, heads to the door, and is greeted by the welcoming committee and is giving that bouquet of flowers. Nellie and Willie come out and also enter into the house, and Mary and Laura look as though they are absolutely enjoying themselves. And Nellie 
looks as though she is actually trapped inside a real house. And this is when we are finally introduced to Kezia Horn and her parrot, Polly. Willie is the first one to point out that it's not a parrot, it's a crow. And in a whispered voice, Kezia states, he thinks he's a parrot and I wouldn't want to disappoint him. Kezia and Polly have a small exchange and then extend an invitation to the kids for some tea and oranges. Willie inquires if he can have coffee instead, just like his pa. And Kezia then proceeds to act out, getting out all the supplies for tea and coffee, as well as setting to task boiling the water. Mary and Laura are seem to be enjoying what's going on. Again, Nellie looks horrified about what she's witnessing. And Willie, he looks a little confused. But when he is then offered a cup of coffee by Kezia, he steps forward and takes a hold of it and tries it out. Nellie, where is it? This is dumb. I don't see any coffee. And not to be insulted in her own house, Kezia then tells Nellie to leave. You can't stay if you can't see it. Or in modern translation, you can't play with us. Nellie immediately tries to throw everyone under the bus. They can't see it either. Laura states that, yes, I can. Mary states, me too. And Willie, mmm, it's strong, just the way Papa drinks it. And Nellie storms out of that house. Kezia then takes a moment to walk over to the door frame and then states, some people never remember to close the door. Back home at Plum Creek, Carrie is helping ice the cake with Caroline. She takes a moment to briefly lick the utensil before going back to task. That's when Mary and Laura rush in, stating that they have met Kezia Horn, and she read our fortune from tea leaves. Caroline, witchcraft. And no, she doesn't say that. Instead, she nonchalantly states, that's nice girls. They both relay their fortunes that were told, and Caroline quickly flips these conversations and turns it into scolding Laura for not removing those foxtails from Jack's ears. Next time I tell you to do something, do it! Flustered, Laura heads outside and starts her search for Jack. And outside, we are introduced to Charles, shirtless, but wearing suspenders and mending a fence. Now, I would say that this is sexy. However, I am envisioning tan lines. Not so sexy. Laura calls out to Jack, but no response. Laura turns to her dad and inquires, have you seen Jack? Charles states, well, I saw him asleep in the barn. And Laura heads inside. And inside, Laura is coming in heated. You good for nothing, dog. Lazy. Wait till I get my hands on you. And that's when Laura spots him and calls out to him to get up. But there's no movement. Laura calls out again with more authority this time, but nothing. And the camera slowly closes in and it dawns on Laura. And she yells out, Pa, come quick. And a shirtless, glistening Charles 
comes to comfort Laura and confirm Jack's passing. Jack traveled a lot of miles with us, across a lot of rivers. He was kind of old and tired. His time had come to go to sleep someplace quiet and not make a fuss. They decide to bury Jack on the low hill over the meadow. It was his favorite place to play. We cut to that scene and Laura is laying flowers down on Jack's grave. In the background, Caroline is showing some signs of sorrow and then leaves. Charles, who now has a shirt on, approaches Laura, but Half Pint requests a moment alone. And in that moment, Laura apologizes to Jack. You're the best dog a girl could ever have. I'm going to say a prayer for you every night, and I hope you're safe and warm in your new bed. Rest in peace, Jack. Rest in peace. It's Sunday. We get a nice wide overhead shot of everyone coming into town, it looks like, for church. And all the way in the background is Kezia Horn in her rocker. Mary and Laura get to the stairs and say hello to Kezia and wonder out loud, why isn't she coming to church? Because, child, she is a heathen. Hello, Harriet who happens to drop this bit of shade without even stopping. Drive-by shading, walk-by shading. Charles and Caroline are the last ones up the stairs. Caroline heads inside, and Charles stops to shake Reverend Alden's hand, and they both look over at Kezia, and it looks as though they're not really sure what to make out of what's going on. Once they are inside, as the door closes, we get a voiceover of Reverend Alden leading everyone in a prayer. Matthew chapter 6, verse 9 through 12. The takeaway from this entire scene is Kezia is on her knees with her hands clasped in her house reciting the same prayer. We cut to someplace that's not Walnut Grove and Charles is loading some sacks and, and off to the side enters a black and white dog. One of the employees of this establishment, who is assisting Charles, yells out to the dog to get, and then hands Charles the final parcel. Here's your bacon. This employee also continues that as soon as Charles is gone, he will be rid of that mutt. And from there, we cut to Hal Burton steering that wagon through town, possibly Mankato, and that spalpeen of a dog enters and manages to hop a ride on this wagon. And we get a long take of the wagon traveling down the road and then a shot of Charles from behind. And that dog climbing into the seat next to him. Charles looks over, you little bandit. And as they sit back and enjoy the ride, we get a lingering shot of the mountain that's high and the valley that's low. That dog is on a free ride. We cut to Doc Baker's office, and he is pulling back the curtain. And we are introduced to a patient named Jonathan, and he's having some lower back aches. And just like any other hard-working man on the prairie, he claims he can't stop working. And as always, anticipating that as a response, this is when Doc Baker prescribes 
for Jonathan to get some soap liniment, camphor, and wintergreen and have his wife Alice apply it vigorously into his skin at night. He then leaves the doctor's office, and things that make you go, hmm, there's a lot of time devoted to this man right off the bat. We cut to Charles arriving with Bandit back at Plum Creek. Carolyn seems excited about the dog, as does Mary. Half pint? We'll just have to wait and see. She's inside the barn. P.S. This is no longer a surprise because that dog starts to bark. We find Laura, melancholy, on the inside of the barn. And P.S. It is confirmed Charles was at Mankato. The dog comes into the barn and seems really excited about meeting Laura. He's all up in her face. However, Laura, not so much. I don't want him. I don't want another dog. Hashtag too soon, Charles. And that dog is persistent until Laura eventually shoves the dog away and runs from the barn. We cut to evening outside the house. This new dog doesn't like to be outside. Oh, perhaps because it's supper time. Caroline is the first to admit the dog is outside because they don't want to encourage bad habits. However, leave it to Charles to convince otherwise, and the dog is let in and goes immediately right to Laura's face. Carrie announces that this dog needs a name and then throws out the name Tom. And that's not a throwback to Tom the turkey. One of the neighbors in the area have a dog named Tom. However, according to Mary, that is actually a cat named Tom. Oh, Carrie. Charles relays his experience with the dog and how he's already called him Bandit. There's an eye roll for me on that. And when Laura is asked her own opinion, she states she doesn't care. In fact, she asks if she can leave the table even though she hasn't touched her meal. But to be honest, it really looks as though she just wants to get away from Bandit. She heads up to the loft and Bandit just waits there at the bottom of the ladder. He just wants to be close to Laura. We cut to another day. We're at the mill. Jonathan, our special town resident of this episode, is working, but yells out with a little bit of pain when trying to lift some lumber. There's a lumber limber joke in here somewhere. I just don't know where it is yet. Charles tells him that Jonathan's never going to get better unless he takes a break. Jonathan responds with, I just got to go take my medicine. And he heads past the office and over to the barrel and fishes out his own bottle of brown substance. And he uncorks that and he tosses it back. And at that moment, we hear, Good morning, Mr. Garvey. Mary yells out. So this is Jonathan Garvey who at this moment is now trying to conceal that bottle behind his back. However, in the process, the bottle is upside down and dumping its contents into the water barrel. Mary mentions that she's on her way to school and Carrie is with her. OMG, Carrie is finally in school. Inquisitive, Mary then asks, what was in that bottle? And Jonathan 
responds with, that's a medicine prescribed from Doc Baker. Mary, not intending to be shady, just observant, states, uh, that's the biggest bottle of medicine I ever saw. Jonathan, well, a big guy like me needs a lot of medicine. Mary then suggests perhaps Jonathan should go visit Kezia. She might have an alternative. <laughs> that magpie? She's crazier than a loon. Mary and Carrie continue on to school, and Jonathan then finds the truth out that he has dumped the entire bottle into the water. Dad, burn it. His words, not mine. Before heading into school, Mary stops and inquires what Kezia is doing, and Kezia responds that it is a perfect day for hanging the wash. Mary LOLs and heads inside. From off screen, we then hear Laura yelling, Go away! She's yelling at Bandit. Stop following me! I don't want you! Go away! This is then preceded by the poet Laurent and her backup singer, Willie. Laura's dog is a hog! Laura's dog is a hog! On repeat. Turning her attention from scolding Bandit and then on to Nellie and Willie, he's not my dog! I don't even want him! Laura yells at Bandit one more time and then heads out to school. Kezia then watches Bandit leave the scene, and with the children gone, she then turns and heads inside her house. It's at this time that Jonathan Garvey shows up and is invited in. He introduces himself, and then Kezia states, well, some call me Kezia, some call me Kezi, some don't call me at all. She is boiling some roots and greens on that fireplace. Jonathan mentions that he came at Mary's behalf for the crick in his back. Doc Baker's remedies are just not working. And this when Kezia then considers, is it a dull or sharp pain? We're told it's a nagging pain. And as he is describing it, Kezia then states, ah, it's rheumatism. She's had this before. And Jonathan is wide-eyed and then inquires, do you have a cure? And this is when Kezia states that she does. And she proceeds to list exactly what Doc Baker told him to do. However, then she gets a little more personal and inquires about his skiffies in bed. He responds with red flannel. With a smile, Kezia then states, with your pain down low, it's best to keep the flap shut. And she has one more bit of instructions for him, but we don't know what they are because we cut back to Hanson's Mill. Charles is calling it a day, turning off the saw, and he heads to the office. But Mr. Hanson's not inside. We find out that he has gone home because he's not feeling too well. And this comes from... We find Mr. Olson, who's looking a little... Interesting. He's also slightly slurred in his speech and is full of giggles. At this time, he takes another sip from that pail of water that he has with him. I can't get enough water. At this time, Charles reminds Mr. Olson about the church meeting that they are having later that afternoon in regards to Kezia joining the congregation. 
Mr. Olsen looks relieved to be reminded. Ugh, you betcha, Charles. I'll be there. Charles, looking a little confused, leaves a Mr. Olsen. Mr. Olsen then proceeds to head to the barrel to take one more drink of water before falling backwards, passed out. We cut to the end of the church meeting. Reverend Alden is dimming the lights, and we come to find out that it's been decided to not let Kezia become a member of the congregation. In fact, they're going to ask her to leave. Reverend Alden has volunteered to be the bearer of bad news and is going to offer a kind word and a blessing as she leaves. For some reason, Charles is still there, but when he leaves and Reverend Alden is still closing up shop, he hears snoring and he discovers Mr. Olson passed out on one of the seats. And I just can't help but wonder, does Harriet Olson realize that she left her husband at the church? Reverend Alden shakes Mr. Olson awake, and the first thing out of his mouth is, I vote nay. He is then told that the meeting is over and Harriet has actually gone home. Oh, that explains why it's so quiet here. Reverend Olden is not picking up on any clues, but he inquires if Mr. Olson is okay. I'm fine. I just need a drink of water. Reverend Olden helps Mr. Olson to his feet and eventually to the door. And once the door closes, we immediately hear Mr. Olson fall down the stairs. This is where someone needs to deliver some side-eye to Reverend Olden. It's the next day. Kezia and Reverend Alden are having some tea time, and Reverend Alden states that there's just some concern about the cold of winter that's coming ahead. And Kezia, mm, she calls BS and simply states, the cold you're talking about has nothing to do with winter. In fact, she says she understands that he's here to protect the community, and this isn't the first time that she's been asked to move on. But we find out that Kezia is 80 years old, and she has outlived two husbands. She's been everywhere, and according to her, she has seen it all. She continues, And people are the same everywhere. They're set in their ways. They're afraid of anyone different. It's human nature. Reverend Alden tells her to never change. It's people who are different that move mountains. With a smile, Kezia admits that she was only staying because of the children. When asked where she'll go next, Kezia states, I don't know, but don't worry. Reverend Alden says his goodbye and leaves Kezia in her house. We cut to Plum Creek. Laura's in her best Sunday dress and asks for permission to head into town early to visit with Kezia before church permission granted. And as she is running into town, she is followed by Bandit. And at Kezia's place, she's packing up. And we hear Laura once again yelling at Bandit, go away. I don't want you. Get out of here. And once again, Kezia witnesses all of this. And truthfully, it looks as though she has some choice words that she wants to share to Laura. When asked why she treats the dog like that, Laura states, he's not my dog, he's just a stray. She then shares 
memories of Jack. With a smile, Kezia states, I know how you're feeling. And she talks about her first husband. And then her second. She tells Laura that she has something special with Jack. And no dog is ever going to take his place in your heart. But there's a lot more room in it for love. Looking over at Bandit, who at this time is chasing his tail, Laura states, it's a dumb dog. And looking at the situation, Kezia states, well, he's making his way with what he has. He's got no one else to play with but himself. This is when Laura realizes that it is about making the most out of the situation. Kind of like Kezia not having walls or a roof. And dear sweet Kezia, you don't have to have walls and a roof to have hospitality. You need to feel belong. You need to feel needed. She states that Laura has both of these things. But she is just like the mutt. I've got love to give, but no one who will take it. She points out the error of Laura's behavior. And this is when Laura finally confesses her grief and her fear of losing another pet. You'll hurt all over again. Hurting goes away. Love never. That's the greatest gift. And this is when Laura decides it's time to open her heart to Bandit and go find him. We cut to scenes of Laura on the hunt for Bandit and she does find him. And we get a few extra shots of her following in pursuit. Eventually she stops some distance away from him and confesses that she was wrong and that she does love Bandit. That dog looks at her, then turns and runs away. Laura herself turns. She takes a few steps before sinking down to the ground. And well, this is the little house. So Bandit returns and this dog strikes a pose on the fence. Super cute. And then when gets to Laura, places a paw on her shoulder. She turns and hugs that dog and says, my bandit. It's still Sunday. Everyone is finally arriving in church and Jonathan with his family just before heading up the stairs to enter the church yells out to Kezia and then demonstrates how limber he really is. And I have to confess for a man who is living out in the prairie, the fact that he can fold in half that much that's impressive. She gives him a wink and he gives away before heading inside. Sadly, Kezia is checking her wagon and climbs aboard and heads out of town. Inside, the congregation is singing Onward Christian Soldier. There's an eye roll for me on that. And once the song is done, Laura runs in and announces that Kezia is gone. But we need to have her here. She's got so much love to give. She's good and kind to anyone who gives her half a chance. She's different. We're all different. If you knocked on her make-believe door, she would let us in. But when she knocked, nobody heard her. And woo, way to take control of the room, Laura. It's at this time from behind, Reverend Alden then starts to draw this comparison between Kezia and, well, you guessed it, Jesus Christ. It's at this moment... Harriet Olson 
decides to be that thorn in your side one last time, states, we've already voted on it. We're not going to change. At which point she decides that they should vote on that and raise your hand if you agree that we are not going to change. And looking stupid at this moment, Harriet Olsen is the only person with her hand up. And in the background, Jonathan Garvey yells out a Yahoo! Let's go get her! And we cut to a wagon full of children being driven by Mr. Garvey on a road chasing after Gizia. And I'll let it pass. We get a voiceover telling us that Gizia Horn stayed in Walnut Grove for the rest of her years. And so did my dog, Bandit. We get a final shot of Bandit running down the road towards the camera, and it stops in a freeze frame. It is one happy puppy. Well, that was definitely an interesting start for season four. And right off the bat, I have to admit, I chuckled to myself upon finding out why Kezia Horn seemed familiar. So, of course, checking out the IMDb on Hermione Baddeley actually appeared in the movie Mary Poppins as Ellen, one of the maids in the Banks household. So it's a little funny that Feed the Birds was the first thing to come to mind when she was introduced on the screen. And wow, we get to once again pull information from the source material. On the shores of Silver Lake, the story begins with a four-year time jump, and we find Laura as a young tween. And not only that, what happens in the book? Just as the Ingalls family is getting ready to follow Charles east, Laura discovers that Jack the dog has passed away in the barn. So it is interesting to have this scene portrayed in the TV series. In the books, the death of Jack was that signal that Laura was leaving her childhood and moving into maturing and becoming more of an adult back on the prairie in the 1880s. And as heartfelt as it is to read about Jack coming to this conclusion in the fictional works, according to Caroline Fraser's Prairie Fires, that is not the case. In the biography, it is explained that Jack as well as Pet and Patty, the horses, are sold just as the Ingalls are leaving Kansas to head back north. So there was some artistic liberties. And with that, let's get to reviewing and rating this episode. I have one question, and of course, as the season progresses, I'll most likely get the answer to it, but who the heck is Jonathan Garvey, and why is he such a prominent role in this season opener? From his quote-unquote reveal in the doctor's office, to him having lengthy conversations not only with Charles Mary, but also Kezia, what role does this man play? And not only that, it looks as though Mr. Edwards might have a drinking buddy now. And speaking of drinking, it was cute to see Mr. Olson all intoxicated. But what was the point? This episode should have definitely stuck with its themes of mental health, homelessness, and the loss of a family pet. The tone of this episode changes every time Jonathan Garvey is on scene. Oh, and also when Mr. Olsen is on the scene. 
one thing I did like was that we did get a reminder that Reverend Alden shows up in Walnut Grove only twice a month. So we see him at the beginning when there's that initial meeting about Kezia Horn. He then shows up again towards the end of the episode. So we know it has been two weeks. So at least we have a decent job of managing time in the Prairieverse. And I so understand Laura's hostility towards Bandit right off the bat. Again, hashtag too soon. Before my wonderful co-host, Balthazar, was introduced into my life eight years ago, there was another cat. Her name was Shuggy Yum Yum. Yes, that's correct. Shuggy Yum Yum. Did I name her? No, I didn't. But I was there when she was given that name many years ago when I was living with roommates back in early 2000. I lived with those roommates and Shuggy Yum Yum for a good three years. I would still see that cat on occasion when I would visit my former roommates. However, it wasn't until a number of years later when it became a mm, challenge for finding a permanent location for Shuggy Yum Yum. In my current situation, I was more than capable of taking care of her, so I volunteered to take her in. And she was with me for her senior years, all the way to the point when I had to put her down. I was given a six-month time frame with her, and like clockwork, as we got to the end of that six months, she knew she was ready to go. The worst part about it was I wasn't. And so I did do a very selfish thing and keep her around maybe a week or two longer than I should have. Needless to say, I was devastated, and just like Laura, I didn't want to have another pet anytime soon. But flash forward two and a half months later, I wasn't really given a choice because I was gifted a adoption at the Oregon Humane Society. And I went in reluctant, thinking I didn't want to have another cat anytime soon. But that's when I spotted that orange ball of fluff that became my Balthazar. He's going on eight years now, but he's pretty damn spoiled, so I don't think he's going anywhere anytime soon. But what it boiled down to is, I didn't really know that I wanted to have a new pet until I found one. And I realized I couldn't put a time frame on when finding a new pet was going to be well. It just happened. But to shift gears now, sorry if you got a little teary-eyed with that, let's talk about this week's Little House moment, which goes to when Mary, Laura, Willie, and Nellie meet Kezia Horn for the first time and go inside her house. Immediately, the Ingalls girls understand that they are guests and that they shouldn't be rude. And Willie, well, it looks as though he practiced a little bit of that Tom Sawyer play because he's playing right along with this as well. And Nellie, poor realist Nellie, just can't see any of it. So it is appropriate that Kezia does ask her to leave. And with that, let's finally get to rating this episode. I was really enjoying the Kezia and Bandit storylines, but I got pulled out of it every single time Jonathan Garvey came on screen. His appearance just took me out of enjoying the episode and just coming up with questions of who this man is, why is he here, why do I care about him? Is it strange that he does resemble Mr. Edwards in some fashion? Is he the guest actor that is essentially the bridge between the adults of Walnut Grove and Kezia? Because 
again, it's only Reverend Alden and Jonathan Garvey who talk to Kezia. Or is Jonathan Garvey going to be a reoccurring character? You know, like Mrs. Foster, only with lines. However, at least they managed time a lot better in this episode. So with that, we are going to give the season four premiere episode, Castoffs, a four and a quarter bonnet rating. And as always, those are just some of my thoughts and feelings about this episode, and I wouldn't mind hearing any thoughts or feelings you have about this episode or any previous episode. From Plum Creek with Love at gmail.com or at the Instagram account, the Season 4 Spotify playlist has also started to get some songs on there. Again, leaving a rating or review on your platform of choice does help spread the word about this podcast. I just have to say a special thank you to everyone over these last few months. Right at the start of January, this podcast had a little over 4,000 listens. And as of now, we are just at the edge of 9,000 listens. So again, everyone, thank you for, one, listening. (laughs) And what else? Continuing to listen. Getting to share my thoughts and feelings about watching this TV series for the very first time with all of you has definitely made the last year plus a lot more exciting. So again, thank you for listening. And with that... We come to the end of another episode of From Plum Creek with Love, a little house on the prairie podcast. I'm your host, John Hernandez, and until next time, take care.